Ephesians chapter 1 verse 11 says this, the middle of the verse, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Notice God works all things according to the counsel of his will. The Greek word for work in this verse is energeo. It's where we get the word energy. And it means to be active, to be operative, to be at work, to put forth effort, to cause an effect, to work toward a result. And, this, and in this verse, this Greek word is a verb, uh, and it's in what we would call the active voice. So this is an action that God himself is taking, and it's in the present tense, which means he's doing this right now, in real time, even as I speak. This is not just something he did in the ancient past. This is what he's doing right now. Amen. So this verse tells us something along with many other verses, tells us something of God's attitude, that he is not passive. He's not uninvolved. He's not detached. He does not just let things happen, allowing things to run their course in our lives without intervening. He's not disinterested and aloof. He is a God who cares. I said he is a God who cares. He cares about you. He cares about every detail of your life. Jesus said not even a small sparrow will fall to the ground without your father noticing it. And you and I are worth more than many birds. Hallelujah. God takes a keen interest in our welfare. Sometimes we're just like adapting to difficulties, adjusting to defeat. And we're accustomed to living in a low place. But just because you're used to something doesn't mean that God is happy with where you are right now. He takes a keen interest in our welfare, and he desires to actively participate in our affairs. God is not content to sit in the background and watch things transpire from a distance. He is a God who's near, and he gives grace. The very word grace implies a divine interruption. An interruption in the way things are going, the normal course of events. His grace is influence and intervention in our lives. So God is working and God is energetic. And it stands to reason, by the way, that if you're working with him, you'll also be energetic. That God's a God of purpose. 
And when you understand his purposes for your life, it gives your life meaning. It gives your life direction. That there's more to life than just paying the bills. Going to school, getting a job, having children, and dying. There's more to life than just breathing. There's more to life than existing. There's purpose. There are many Christians today who I fear only exist when God has called you to live. Amen. Notice Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So God's work in our life did not end at conversion when we got born again. He is now actively working in us toward a specific goal, which is in Psalm 138, verse 8, in the New King James Version, the Lord will perfect that which concerns me. None of us here are yet all that God intends us to be, but he's working in you. He will perfect that which concerns you. That means he isn't finished with you. While we live, we are a work in progress. He is shaping us to become more and more like Christ. As he said to the prophet Jeremiah, I am the potter and you are the clay. He's molding us to be vessels of mercy, containers of his glory. The Passion Translation says, he will faithfully continue the process of maturing you. So trust the process. That means you're going to have to be a little bit more patient. God may give you a glimpse, a vision of what he wants you to be. But between that ultimate, uh, uh, that ultimate goal and your present tense situation, there's patience. Because it's not going to happen overnight. Amen? Hallelujah. God is working. Notice Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. For it is God who works in you. So somebody's working in you. Who is it? God. It is God who works in you. How is he working? Both to will and to work for his good pleasure. The Williams translation says, to help you desire it, meaning his will, to help you desire it as well as do it. Woo. So God is working internally in us so that we will want what he wants. That's one of the first things God does, isn't it? He changes your desires, 
right? The born again man can truly say the things I once hated, I now love. The things I once loved, I now hate. When I was a boy, I've told you many times, I hated to go to church. Oh, my mother dragged me to church, you know. And I had a thousand reasons why I didn't need to go and a a multitude of excuses. Here I am now, praise the Lord. And my mother's not forcing me. I'm here because on my own volition. But God changes your inward desire. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. And God is also working externally in our situation to shape events to bring about his will. He's working internally to change us. He's also working externally to change our situation. So he can change our desires and he can alter our circumstances to produce the results that he intends. He's working. Amen. Notice with me Acts chapter 26, verse 14. Acts 26, verse 14. You may think as you look at this verse that it has nothing to do with, you know, the topic tonight. Maybe you don't even know what the topic is. Well, it, it does have something to do with what I'm talking about. Notice Acts 26, verse 14. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. It's that last sentence. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Do you know what he's talking about? Of course, this is talking about Saul who was traveling on the way to Damascus and there the Lord met him. He saw the Lord in a vision. The Lord spoke to him and he said, it's hard for you, Saul, to kick against the goads. A goad is what we call a cattle prod. That is to say, it's a long stick with a pointed end, a sharp end that was used to poke livestock in order to get them moving, to go in the direction where it was desired. So, you know, like uh, like if you watch cowboy movies, you know, they rode on horses and they used to whip, but not in Paul's day. Very few people had horses. They, They would use a stick. The Israelites would use a long stick with a sharp end, and they would poke that cow to to get him get him in line or get him moving. So when Jesus said you're kicking against the goads, what he really means to say is what he means by that is you keep resisting my effort to move you into my will. That's what he means. Huh? So that means, see, this is, what, this is what the Lord Jesus said to Saul of Tarsus before he got saved. This, is, this was his conversion experience, right? So that means even before this happened, long before this event occurred, God had been goading Saul, pushing him, working on him. In fact, 
Paul himself said in Galatians chapter 1, verse 15, God had set me apart before I was born. He set me apart. He called me. He set me apart for the ministry to be an apostle even before I was born. While I was in my mother's womb, he chose me for this ministry. So that means it's possible that a man could be called to the ministry and he has not yet even answered the call of salvation. That's also why some people are kicking against the goads. They don't want to go in the ministry. They don't want to do that, so they're running from God. But you know, your arm is too short to box with God. You can run, but you can never hide. <laughs> he knows you. Hallelujah. By the way, it's interesting. Jesus said, he said, it's hard for you to kick against the goats. Jesus said in John 6, very interesting scripture, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. When he says, come to me, he doesn't mean walk up to me, approach me, because all kinds of people walked up to Jesus, Pharisees, Sadducees. He means no one can come to me for salvation. Really, he means no one is able to believe in me without the Father's assistance. Sinners don't get saved just because they find the gospel agreeable. That, hmm, sounds pretty good to me. I think I'm going to go ahead with this. Yeah, makes sense. I kind of like it. I like your style. I like the singing. I like the microphone. I, I think I'll go ahead and, and make Jesus Lord. It sounds good. That is not why people get saved. It has nothing to do with it. The Spirit of God brings conviction to the heart. He reveals to a man his true spiritual condition that he's lost and shows him that he is in need of a Savior who is Christ the Lord. He draws people to Christ. That's his ministry in the earth, drawing. If I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. How does he do it? By the Spirit of God, of course. Hallelujah. And the Greek word for draw, no man can come to me unless the Father draw him. The Greek word literally means to drag. Which suggests then a more forceful action. Right? In other words, it's not just politely suggesting, would you like to be saved? I think it's a good idea. Let me, let me offer this advice to you. You might want to try this. No, it's more like he grabs you. No, I'm pulling you in. I'm pulling you in. I've heard the testimony of, of, of several people over the years who later said, I had no intention of responding to the altar call. I don't even know why my hand went up in the air. Next thing I knew, I found myself walking to the front the whole time thinking, why am I doing this? I know why. The Spirit of God grabbed that person, and he was just dragging them. Now, people still have a will. Like I said, people are fighting God all the time. They're kicking against the goad. But there's, there's more than just a, 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 a passive 
work here. God is actively reaching, pulling sinners to Christ. That's why sinners better be careful about coming to this church. You may go home healed. You better be careful about coming to this place. You may go home filled with the Spirit, transformed, renewed. You may go home with the miracle. You better be careful. Think twice before you come here because the Spirit of God's here. He may drag you into His kingdom. He may propel you into the will of God. You better be careful. You better be careful. You better be careful about coming here on Wednesday night. You may get anointed. Watch yourself. Watch yourself. You may, you may start having gifts of the Spirit working in your life. You better, you better think twice before you come here next time. You may start prospering like you never thought possible. You better be careful about coming to this place. I'm just, I'm just warning you right now. If that's over your head, just be blessed. I'm, uh, hallelujah. <laughs> Amen. So God was drawing Paul. He was dealing with him before this incident occurred. But Paul continued to resist. So think about this. A goad is a source of irritation. It's, it's, a, it's with a stick pricking the animal, you know, in its, in its side or back. You know, it's unpleasant stimulus. It's possible that God is goading you too. Just say moo. <laughs> I said it's possible that God is goading you as well. See, some believers, now they're probably not here this evening. They would be seated in this section if they were, but some believers are only moved by pain. I said some believers, don't look around, just look straight at me. Some believers are only motivated by pain. Hmm? When the pain of staying where they are is greater than the pain of changing, then they move. Amen? Hallelujah. Then again, some Christians are unwilling to make any changes. So God, in his mercy, steps in and makes changes for them. Hallelujah. I, I'll say it again. Some Christians are not willing to change. God is asking them to make changes, and they're not willing they kick against the goad. So God steps in and makes some changes for them to make it easier for them to now cooperate with his will. So I, I, years ago, I met a pastor in my home state uh, of Virginia in America. He told me his story that before he knew the Lord, I think it's before he knew the Lord, he was uh, working in a paper mill like a big factory that makes paper, a comfortable living, a secure job. And he got saved, and he knew that God called him to the ministry, and, and the Lord told him to start a church in his uh, locality, his, his city. And so he told the Lord, this, is, this, is, this man told me his story. He told the Lord, well, Lord, let me retire from my job, I have a few more years to go. Let me retire, and then I'll have a comfortable pension. And with that, I can step into the ministry and begin to work for you. And he said, the first thing that happened is they closed down the paper mill. 
and they laid off. They fired all the workers. So he said, yes, Lord, I'm ready now. <laughs> like I said, some people re- kick against the goads. So God makes some changes for them to help it, them make it easier for them to cooperate. But there's a sequel, another part to this story. He started a, a small church that met, I think, in a school building, kind of off the beaten path, you know, way off, you know, in the woods somewhere. And I don't know how long he had been there, maybe a, a year or two. I, I, don't, I don't remember. But he said, Lord, you told me to start a church. And I did that. So I have a favor to ask you. I want a new brick building on the main highway. Not out here, you know, in the woods somewhere, in the jungle. I'm right on the main highway. I want a brand new, I mean, he means church building, brick, you know, not like, you know, whatever, but brick church building. And he said that shortly thereafter, his father died. He was, I think, elderly anyways. His father was a, a blue, what we call a blue-collar worker, meaning he was, he was a, kind of like, did a, he was a skilled laborer. You know, I don't remember what he, he was, you know, like carpenter, mason, something like that. He was not a wealthy man. But when he died, this man, the pastor, received a sizable inheritance. And he said, I don't know where that money came from. My dad never had any money. No money at all. No one would ever accuse him of having money. Well, turns out good old dad didn't have a lot of money, but his entire life he saved his money. And who knew? He was just saving. Every week, you know, every month, he was putting a large portion of whatever he had in a savings account. And when he died, that money lump lump sum fell into this pastor's lap. He bought a plot of land right on the highway. And then money came in from several sources and they built a brand new church building, brick building. And he said, God did it all. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Amen. And uh, that, uh, that paper mill is still not there. It is gone. Praise the Lord. God works all things according to his plan. Not according to your plan. God is not going to rubber stamp your plan. There are many thoughts in the heart and mind of a man, but the counsel of the Lord, that will stand. And God is not trying to move you out of his will. In Isaiah 48, verse 17, it says, He leads you in the way you should go. So if God is leading you, that is the way you should go. I said, if God is leading you, and that's a big if, by the way, but if God is leading you, that is the way that you should go. Notice he didn't say, I will lead you in the way your mother thinks you should go. There are some people in my life, as I look back, they've been wrong about every advice they gave me. There are some people in my life, they've been wrong about everything. I'm not inclined to listen to them. They didn't want me to marry Jeppy. They didn't want me to come to Nagaland. They didn't want me to start a church. They didn't want me to do anything. They didn't want my son to go to high school and America. They didn't want any, any of the decisions. But he will lead me in the way that I should go. You may be listening to the wrong people. That's your problem. 
Make up your mind and understand this, that pleasing the Lord will necessarily displease some people. Not everybody will be in agreement. You know, nobody said the kingdom of God is a democracy. No, sometimes God tells you to do something, and rather than obeying him, you call the family members for a little parliamentary session in your sitting room. God didn't ask you to do that. You decided to do that. Well, I'm going to have to wait till everybody agrees. Well, delayed obedience is called disobedience. Amen. Hallelujah. Now, Christians have the spirit of God dwelling in them. They have the guide on the inside. And if they will follow the urging and direction of the spirit of God, they will find themselves in the perfect plan of God. He's not trying to move you out of his will. He's trying to move you, goad you, lead you into his perfect will. Amen. So it's important that we're led by the spirit of God. Learning to recognize the Lord's leading is a spiritual skill. Learning how to recognize the leading of the Lord, the leading of his spirit is a spiritual skill. Like, was that the Lord? Was that me? Was that my flesh? Was that the devil? What is that? Well, see, you, you ascertain this by developing a spiritual skill. And that means it's something you can get better at with proper instruction and also practice. All right? So think about this. Just because you read a book on how to operate an automobile, that doesn't make you a proficient driver. Just because you have a driver's license, that doesn't mean you know how to drive, especially in Nogland. That, don't, that doesn't really mean anything. That doesn't mean anything. <laughs> right? I sometimes wonder we should find out how many people actually do have a license. I don't even, I wonder about that. Hallelujah. Anyways, amen. You learn by precept, you're taught, but that's not all. You learn through experience. You learn by doing it. Right? Hmm? And um, you especially learn from your mistakes. Have you ever crashed? Of course, some people never learn from their mistakes, do they, right? How many of you have ever experienced this on the highway? Some vehicle cuts in front of you, dangerously cuts in front of you like, that guy wasn't even looking. He didn't even stop. And as he passes you by just inches in front of the, your front bumper, you notice the side panel of his car is already dented in. And you realize that's not the first time he's done that. He still, it's not the first time he pulled that maneuver and he still didn't learn. He, you'd think he would have learned. So to get in a, in, a, in a collision, of course, is, you know, unfortunate. But to have a life of collision is, means you're an ignoramus, actually. <laughs> means there's something wrong up here. Thank you for your enthusiasm. 
I don't know what to think when you're silent like that, but I'll just let that lie there. Hallelujah. So learning to be led by the Spirit is a skill. Now, notice the scripture. We're talking about God works all things according to his will. He's working, he's working in us his will. He's working us to be in his plan. Notice this, Romans 8.14. Romans 8.14, familiar scripture. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Many, many times we quote that verse. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Most people read that verse and they think it says God leads his sons by the Spirit. That's not what it says. That's not what that verse says. For all who are led. The question is not whether God will lead. He will. The question is, will you follow? See, God can... God, there's nothing too difficult for the Lord, but there's a couple of things he won't do, and one of them is something he's telling you to do. God will and God can lead you. He cannot follow for you. That's something you have to do. So if there's confusion, if there's, uh, 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 you know, uh, 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 you know, not sure where we are, mystery about my life, my will, everything. It's not because God's not doing his job very well. It's because we don't know how to be led very well. Hmm? And notice this. Those who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. And, and, to, and, and, and the verse 16, it talks about that the Spirit bears witness that we are children of God and here it says sons of God because it's two different Greek words. The word translated sons in this verse is the word huios, huios, and it suggests maturity, maturity. So a son, a huios, is not just someone who's born of a father, but someone who manifests, demonstrates, the character, the quality, the attributes of his father. And that suggests maturity. That suggests maturity. So what does it mean? It means if you see someone who is accurate in following the direction of the Holy Spirit, you see someone who is spiritually mature. And if your life is a big question mark, I just don't know. God wants me to go here, go there. Then that's lack of maturity. And it's not your age. You could be my age and still be very immature. Hmm? And you don't even know how old I am because I'm not telling you. <laughs> Amen. So that means it, it takes some spiritual growth to become proficient at discerning God's leadings. And it usually means, really I think we could say it, it takes time, time to get better at it. You understand? Now, keep that thought in your mind. Let me read another verse that fits with this. It's Hebrews 5.14. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 14. It says, but solid food is for the mature, 
those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish or to discern good from evil. Solid food is for the mature. Well, he doesn't just mean that, you know, that, uh, you know, you can't have pork and bamboo shoot unless, you know, you know, unless you're 12 and over. He's not talking about that. He, he's really saying that the, the, uh, the, the advanced teachings of God's word can really only be given to those who are spiritually mature. And he talks about the basic teachings. He calls that milk. So for those who are like spiritually undeveloped, they can only take milk. If you try to give them something that's too deep, you know, they'll choke on it. You know, and, and, uh, and they can't handle it. But notice this. He said solid food or deeper teachings, more advanced teaching of the word of God is for the mature. He means spiritually mature, not just physically mature. So what does it mean to be mature? He said, those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice. That's his definition of spiritual maturity. Those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice. This verse is a little tricky to translate, and that's why if you use the NIV or the New King James or maybe a New Living Translation, they all kind of say something a little different because it's a little tricky to translate this verse, but this translation works. It's, 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 it's accurate. To discern. Powers of discernment. To discern. So if you don't have any discernment, you're not mature. If you don't have any discernment, you're not mature. You're not spiritually mature. You may think that you're with the adults, but actually spiritually you belong with the CK. Some of you should be there this Sunday, actually, be honest. <laughs> so to discern means to see beyond the surface. To discern means to recognize the true nature of something that may not appear to be what it really is. To recognize the true nature of something that often does not appear so, which is not obvious, to see beyond the surface. So he says powers of discernment. I think most likely he's talking about your spiritual ability the ability of your heart to recognize whether something is right or wrong from God or not from God. That's spiritual maturity. So we can develop spiritually until we are very discerning. See, when, when, when people came to Jesus, notice how quick he is. Nicodemus said, we know your teacher come from God. No man can do these signs you're sure doing unless God's with him. Jesus didn't say, oh, well, thank you, Nicodemus. I really appreciate that, brother. Why don't you come to my meeting this Sunday? No, he said, you need to be born again. Man, he just cut to the chase, didn't he? He didn't waste any time. Why? He discerned. This guy's coming to you because he's saying, I want to be saved. What do I got to do? I want to know God. What, what, what does it take? He just said, he answered the question, you need to be born again. 
See, sometimes people asked him questions. Now, what do you say about this? Should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? And he said, why do you tempt me? He was very discerning. He could see through people. He could read people like a book. He could see through them like a plate of glass. You don't have that yet. But as you grow and develop spiritually, you become more discerning. So you can get to the place where you can just walk into a situation and you instinctively know whether it's right or not. You don't have to go to a prayer center and fast for 40 days. You just right away know. The reason why you're going on the hunger strike is you don't have any discernment. I believe in prayer. Don't misunderstand me. And fasting does have its place. Don't misunderstand me. But it's not a substitute for spiritual maturity. And some people are laboring in certain areas because they, they haven't developed and matured spiritually. So I remember years ago, I, uh, I was invited by a dear Christian brother to uh, consider joining this um, multi-level marketing venture. And, um, and supposedly these folks were, were believers. You know, they're going to be selling different things. And as soon as I'm in the room and the man came out to give the presentation, I didn't feel right about it. And I just, mm, no. And, they, and my friend even tried to pressure me, but I dug my heels in and I said, no, that's not right. And um, kind of even, you know, a little bit, uh, sort of like a little bit, you know, insulted me, you know. But I just, no, I didn't feel right about it. I didn't feel right about it. Later, my friend said to me, you know, John, you were right. This was not what we thought it was. And the guy who was in charge overseeing this thing, we thought he was a Christian, wonderful Christian. We found out he's not living right. He's a liar. He's a cheat, all these things. So I discerned right away. If I don't feel right about it, I don't have to tell you why. I don't owe you an explanation. Sometimes I don't know, but I don't like it. And that's, all, that's good enough for me. I've learned by practice to discern. On the other hand, I have met people, and when I was with them, or when I even saw them from a distance, I had a sense of approval in my heart. Something told me, this is a good guy. This is, this is a sincere person. This is, this, is a, this is a genuine individual. There's, there's good qualities in him. I'll be honest with you, I don't mean to say this in an arrogant way, but there are some people in this church, when I'm with them, I know they're not living right. I don't say anything about it, because just because you see something doesn't mean you should say something. And if I said something, they would be insulted and never come to church again, so I don't, I don't feel led to say anything. But there's some people, like, there's a mixture. There's, there's this and that, and there's a mixture of things going on. And that's why I sometimes feel irritated. I'm not irritated with you. Don't, no, 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 don't, don't feel bad. But I mean, there are some people, I'm, honestly, that's, that's how I feel. And some people just, oh, pretty much everybody in Nagaland. Hallelujah. Amen. Those powers of discernment are trained by constant practice. So if we neglect prayer and the study of God's word, 
we become dull spiritually. How many of you played sports in high school? How many of you are just as good today as you were back then? In your mind, you can still, you know, kick the ball and run quickly back. But when you actually try to do it, your body's not cooperating. (laughs) Right? You have to stay sharp spiritually. Right? Let me read you another scripture. I'm talking about being led by the Lord is a skill that you need to develop. Let me read you another scripture. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8 to 10. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Notice that. Walk as children of light and Try to discern what is pleasing to it. Or in other words, what God's will is, what he wants. So darkness here means spiritual death, separation from God. Light means the life of God walking in the nature of God that's in your spirit, being led by, by uh, listening to the, to, the, to the inward nature that's in your heart. And the result of that, the fruit of that is good. It's right and it's true. But he says, try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. That means to determine by testing, to learn by experience. No man can tell you what you should do in every situation of life. In fact, it's, a, it's not good for you to develop a dependency on somebody. And every time I have a problem, I have to ask that person, if it, what should I do here? What should, what, what should I do? What's the, what's the decision I should make? No, 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 that person is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And so sometimes God will close that person's eyes and, or not share that with you because you're developing a dependency, an unhealthy dependency on some other person. And that's not pleasing to the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. God's will often has to be discerned. You know it. I would say you know it instinctively. For lack of a better term, you feel it in your spirit. So instead of, like, you know, several opportunities arise, I could do this, I could do this, I could do this. So instead of praying, Lord, if this is not of you, close the door. It's preferable that you discern this door is the door the Lord has opened for me. Forget those other two. And that'll happen. Here's an opportunity for such such a thing, ministry, life, work, whatever. But then also two other opportunities showed up. Or Brother Zama Zama proposed to you. But so did Brother Dumbfunny and so did Brother Huckachucka. They all did the same day. You know, my God, what am I going to do here? Well, you'd have to have discernment. You can't just pray, Lord... Let the two that are not of you die or change their mind. No, you can't, you can't pray that way. You need to discern. Hallelujah. Are you out there today? Praise the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. God's preference is for us to be led by his spirit. Sometimes Christians are dull spiritually. 
So God in his mercy has to change the circumstances. I, I met a, a brother in the Lord who had an appointment, a business appointment in the World Trade Center in New York City on September 11th, 2001 in the morning. And as he was taking the Metro subway to the World Trade Center, somebody stole his wallet, his billfold, his purse. Somebody stole it. So no money, no, you know, no credit card, nothing. So he had to cancel his appointment, go home. He was so upset until he turned on the TV and saw those buildings come crashing down the biggest terrorist strike in U.S. history. And he was thinking, thank you, Jesus. Why didn't he just have a leading from God? Don't go. I'm not God, but I suspect because he was too dull to listen. And God in his mercy said, no, if, if we're going to depend on him to follow my leading, he's going to die today. So let's go ahead, take his wallet and, you know, <laughs> hallelujah. Amen. Let me say this. I'm almost done here. We're talking about the plan of God. We're talking about your destiny. I believe in the providence of God, that if you love the Lord and you sincerely want to please him, he will work things out. He requires your cooperation. But if you'll just be a little more cooperative, if you'll be led in the small things, you'll see that he'll take care of the big things. So we have a lot of young people in our church so maybe the burning question in your heart is, who should I marry? And I want to say to you, God will work it out. Thank you for your enthusiasm. Please sit down. I'm not asking you to get married tonight. I'm just saying God can work it out. Ruth just happened to glean barley from the field of Boaz. But it was no coincidence it was the providence of God. She wasn't out looking for a husband. I'm going to get myself a man today. No, no. She was just doing her duty. She was just serving God. She was just doing what she knew to do. But it was, she was gently being pushed right into the perfect will of God. Huh? Rebecca just happened to walk by the well that day. An offer to water the camels of this old man, Abraham's servant. But it wasn't a coincidence. She was the one to marry Isaac. I believe in the providence of God. If you're sincere and you're doing what you know to do, God will take care of the things you don't know about. Amen? He can work it out for your life, for your future. I'll get in trouble now. Well, it won't be the first time. I don't think I've ever shared this. When I was in high school, actually junior high school, there was a neighbor girl, kind of caught my eye, and evidently heaven took note of that, and suddenly her family moved away to another state. I never saw her again. It must have been the providence of God. <laughs> God can work it out for you. Hallelujah. Would you stand with me to your feet this evening? Let's get